Today on the Jerry Metcalf podcast, where top real estate agents tell how they do it, the best of our three most downloaded episodes to date. The last interview you'll hear is from my conversation with Arthur Sharif, the real estate agent for the first $100 million sale in the United States and with Sotheby's International Realty in Silicon Valley. Episode 258, How to Break Records and Be First. Before Arthur, you'll hear Larry Rideout, owner and founder of Gibson Sotheby's International Realty. Episode 255, How to Lead, Really. And first, Jacob Watkins, partner founder of Corcoran Reverie and a top agent and broker on 30A in Florida. Episode 257, How to Become a Record-Breaking Agent Overnight. Thanks for listening to the Jerry Metcalf Podcast, where top real estate agents tell how they do it. Powered by Breakthrough Luxury Coaching, this podcast was created for real estate agents across the world, coming together, sharing ideas that take their businesses to the next level. Breakthrough Luxury Coaching and Membership provide luxury real estate agents tools and resources that win more business, increase volume and sales prices, and create results. To learn more, go to getstarted.breakthroughluxury.com. And now for the show. So for you personally, when you came out of when you came out of Ernst and Young and you got into real estate, like go back to like you then and going through that transition, what was the experience? What were your big what was great? What were your ahas? What were the struggles? What was it like? Yeah, I, I often say like I was blissfully naive because I was 25, you know, or whatever. So I was pretty young. I didn't really, I didn't know what I didn't know, which was probably a good thing. It might have been a little more scary if I had known, um, yeah. for sure. But, you know, I think I just took from when I, when I kind of, I used to say, because it's true, when you're a consultant and you're working at UI and you go to a client site, consultants are stuck in the closet. That's where they're put to work. They don't have offices. So I said, you know, when I stepped out of the closet and my head was at a laptop and I realized you can create successes through relationships versus tasks, I really took that to heart. And throughout our first business, we started down here. It's what we're doing now. It's all about relationships. We focus on how do we make other people money? How do I make other people successful? And that automatically turns around and brings us success. Um, So... I took you know took it away quickly that you can work for somebody else or you can still work for somebody else but work for yourself um like that's kind of how i play that day is if people say oh you work for yourself it's great you know you can do what you want every day it's obviously not true we, we work for our clients every day we work for our investors every day um but you learn how to do it better and you learn how to do it the way you want to you have more control over it as long as you're good at it you know they they'll give you some freedom on there well, it's funny how when you can do it the way you want to and you're focused on doing it better, you do it better. Exactly. Yeah. And obviously, like, when you got a bigger stake in the game, there's more money to be made. There's uh, obviously that drops. I mean, I would say I probably work as hard as I did at EY as I do today because that's just my personality. But a lot bigger stakes, um, a lot bigger opportunities for my family, for myself because of where I am today. But the work ethic can't really change and be any different. No, and sometimes I think it's it's more, and it's more fun. Yeah. It is way more fun. There's no doubt in that. Way more fun. 
So what was your like to say like to be a successful agent when you came in? I mean, I love like not to beat on it, but it's, I think it's very relevant words you use like cadence versus float. I think some people get in and they think they're just just floating is what it is. And you just kind of float and the money just keeps hitting you. Yeah. And you came from a different world. What what was what was your biggest like? this is what I think it's going to be. And this is what it is. Or was it what you thought it would be? What were your lessons? What'd you learn? So, I mean, I, it, I again, I was a little bit blissful down. I didn't really realize how yeah. cut road and tough it really is, but I, I did quickly realize you got to create a niche. You got to make what's your secret sauce. What makes you special? Um, I fortunately love design, construction, creative. I'm a super left brain analytical guy, but I have this little bit of, design creativity maybe growing up watching flip or flop or whatever i don't know um but i i wanted to create that niche of what was my own so i knew when coming into the real estate world hey if you want to be successful and how do you make money how do you differentiate yourself so my path was via development construction renovation so i had this play where i was going to build a bunch of homes in a really high visibility area stick some many signs as i could across 30a and create a splash really quickly that way to create my competitive advantage. And fortunately it worked, the timing was perfect. Uh, I went from most of the top agents here not knowing who I was to some dude called me and said, dude, I said, where, what, where are all these signs come from? Like whose properties are these? And I you know, took a different approach where I put a bunch of investors together, bought a bunch of properties and used that as a launching bar for sales and brokerage as well as on the development side. That's brilliant. That's brilliant. And I think that's where you took what you did with Ernst and Young and yeah. immediately it's like, look at so many people think, okay, that's gone. And okay, now I got to start all over and do something else. And you did anything but that. Yeah. yeah. And I used essentially all of the tools and analytics and investment analysis that we use our role as financial analysts, converted that to the real estate construction world. You know, got some guys who believed and trusted in me and in the market and that really kind of springboarded everything. So question, because I think about is a real estate agent was, by the way, but is it is we were talking about that earlier, but coming into that, you're doing investments because I think a lot of real estate agents love this, but you took what you did at Ernst & Young, advising people and being a consultant and being numbers driven and CPA and all of that good stuff. How did you, were, was it, did you ever have a moment where you were like, okay, am I getting this right? Or did you know you were getting this right? Because you're asking other people now personally to put their money in something, invest, and your whole career, I mean, that's a bit kind of a risk. Did it feel like a risk? Or in your world, what yeah. were the risks? What were the wins? What were the, how did you decide what to do and how to go about it? How did you know? Well, you know, as a college kid, I was in college during the recession, you know, so a lot of what we learned in school was really focused around that. So obviously, like, very nervous, ton of risks going on. But I mean, I just kind of went back to the basics of this is what the numbers say, this is what the analysts look like, this is what we can do. Um, it should prove out. We had a lot of safety nets, you know, we're in a short-term rental market where our safety was, we can rent it if we can't sell it, still kind of our focus on what we do. So, um there was safety nets built into the investment model. Um, but again, I knew that I wasn't going to come into the market and have everybody trust me with their listings. So I had to create my own portfolio of listings in order to build both the development business and a real estate sales business. And so it was, you know, I left UI and I didn't really have an option to do anything else. So this was the way to make it happen. So I was, you know, focused on making it happen.
Well, something you just said too is sometimes having the biggest limitations, but that literally like laid out your opportunity. Yeah. For you it, to do yeah, that. Really good mentors and partners along the way as well. You know, so that was obviously a big play. And um, I'm very observant. So I'm not what I do and what most like, agents and brokers do. We don't, we're not the founders of real estate sales or the founders of development, right? Like it's been going on a long time. But if you right. observe what successful people are doing in different types of businesses and you implement that or make it even better or take little bits of pieces from everybody and create your own strategy from it. There's something to say there's success there. You know, there's obviously risk along the way, but nothing I do or have done is mind blowing. You know, it's just a lot of hard work, learning from others, being observant of the market and what other successes are, and then putting a strategy together to implement that for yourself. Um, so, you know, I still do that today. You know, try to learn from everybody around me. So strategy number one was just to repeat what you said. Well, there's a few things I want to repeat for everybody. Number one, find your cadence. Discipline equals freedom. Don't float. Yeah. I mean, you can, but that's not really the greatest strategy and have a strategy. You came yeah. to the business and you looked at your situation. You said, okay, I need to make money now and fast. And I've got a skill set that I can bring forward into this industry. And in doing that, you came up with a strategy and a plan for investors. And you actually, when everybody said it was a terrible time, it was a great time because the market was just coming back. So you bring investors together. That gives you a portfolio immediately. And then you sell real estate. And you're in. And here you go, like, there you go, back to number one, you don't let grass go under your feet. Now, number two, carrying that forward, when you look at strategies, what have you learned throughout the business? Because you've grown quickly. And how do you strategize? What is it? Do you have a formula? Or when you see something, what are the parts that you look at? How Do you go 50,000 feet high? Or give us what that looks like for you and how you do it. Yeah, I mean, I'm pretty in the weeds every day. Um, and obviously, as the market changes, strategy changes. But right now, inventory is king. So I'm focused on inventory creation. So whether that's through construction, redevelopment, new listings, um, and we're able to, we've been able to grow our brokerage because we are providing inventory to our agents. Um, this market, as great as small boutiques are, we've learned that it's very hard in a market so my role and my partnership and what I do, both on the development side as well as on our brokerage side, is create inventory. So go get listings, go build houses, go do renovations. Um, and I think if you can, even in a good market, if you focus on that, it's sustainable. If I can always be creating inventory, both on the development and the listing side and the sell side, there's always money to be made for both me and the rest of our team. I love that. So literally, I just asked you the question, and there's this... I think it's Jordan Peterson or somebody talks about it, or a lot of people when you say priority, it's really came from the singular word and you yeah. had one priority. It was one. It was very simple. Inventory creation. Yeah. The strategy from day one has been inventory creation. So in a market now where we literally like it's like if I look at the realtor or Zillow or whatever app shows homes for sale, it's like. Uh, like the other day, just for fun, I was looking and I was like, oh, maybe I forgot to put the active on the, on like the filter. No, no, no. Yeah. These are the, like, cause everything was pending. I was like, no, no, no. I'm not looking for pendings. I want to see what that's active. No, they're uh, pending. So in know, this you, market. Yeah. Yeah. We, we, we say now that MLS and Zillow are almost irrelevant. I mean, 50% of our deals are sold in the office. The other 25% are sold off market broker to broker. I mean, it is, um, it's interesting. It's truly different than we've ever seen. 
And when you in in knowing that, what are what would you say? Are there any elements? Obviously, the relationships. Obviously, being in front of the deals before they ever get here, like before they're even built. Yes. But what are some other? Is there like this is what you need to know? The three things you need to keep your eye on to keep to keep on top of this inventory creation and awareness. I mean, I think relationships number one. I mean, relationships yeah. give me the opportunity to have new listings, to know about deals before other people know about deals, to find construction opportunities, to find development opportunities. So, I mean, being connected, being involved in the community and then relationships from that, obviously number one. Um, and then number two is know your numbers. Really, you know, I can quickly see a deal and know that it works or it doesn't work. Um, I am a numbers guy, like I'm a spreadsheet guru, Excel nerd, whatever. So it comes a little easier to me, but I do talk agents, even in the most basic form, you got to know your numbers. So you can quickly react, especially in today's market, you can quickly react to an opportunity because if it's a good opportunity, it ain't going to last very long. So you need to know that it's a good opportunity so that you can move. Um, so, you know, I'm diving deep in our market every night at home after my kids go to sleep. I am have a team that's scrounging for opportunities and deals and vacant land opportunities and redevelopment opportunities pretty much every day. Um, and it's just being in front, you know, being, being front of mind forefront. I have a pretty interesting example. I have the guy that does inspections for us knows that we do construction renovation called me and said, Hey, I have a friend who I had to do an inspection for and she's in her head and wants to sell her house because it needs to be renovated. You know, it came from the inspector, never would have anticipated that, but making sure people in the market and the community know what I do. I don't just sell real estate. So that brings in more opportunities for additional types of businesses. So a couple of things in there, but you were talking about relationships, know your numbers. And, and in that, Combining your relationships and knowing your numbers creates opportunities. Yeah, and number sure. one, every relationship. A lot of times people like to label things like this is where this comes from. This is who these people are. But you're yeah. especially in real estate, like the opportunities and the deals always come from where you least expect or often if you open yeah. your eyes and look at them. And, and it's even more uh, in our community because it's a it's a small, small, tight knit community. So you know there's not pockets of friends or you know, there's demographics. I mean, my friends are much older than me and much younger than me. So because it's so small, uh, so yeah, it comes in every uh, kind of form and fashion. Yeah. And you talked about, so relationships and knowing your, knowing your stuff, knowing your numbers. So yeah. what is your biggest, so for example, there's a thousand, there's like in some markets, there are more real estate agents than homes that sell. I think in Aspen, for example, there may be in 38. Or in this yeah. But how do you, how do you make sure that knowing your numbers and having your relationships, what is the, how do you, what is the activity or how do you make sure you get traction and formulate that into a deal? And that's advice for people who are looking at doing bigger, better deals or people who've never done a deal. Yeah, I mean, I think again, it's knowing, being educated, knowing your stuff, focusing on making your clients money. So whether I'm getting them in with great equity on the front end, whether I'm teaching them how to, find a renovation opportunity, whether I'm doing that myself, um, you know, creating value on the front end, buy right, right? Create equity on the front side. Um, it leads to great reviews from your customers, really happy investors, really happy customers, and ultimately a lot more money for yourself and your, again, for your clients. And that's, you know, that's what everybody's focused on, right? It's their biggest asset they're purchasing, whether it really is an investment or not an investment. 
they want to feel good that they have a lot of equity in that property. Um, and so if you're just selling something to sell something, A, you don't know what you're selling is problem one. B, you don't know if you're really getting your client the right deal. Um, it, it will bite you in the butt eventually, you know, it, it's going to come back yeah. around. You're just a sales guy or you're, and there's nothing wrong with being a sales guy, but you're just, you don't really know the market. You don't know what you're doing. And there are times where I tell a client, Hey, this is way overpriced. I don't think you know, you're going to be in a tight spot. You're, and they say, Oh, I don't care. This is the house I want. That's great. You know, but having those conversations with your clients and making sure they're educated is super important. Making sure they know what they're buying. And, and yeah. to reiterate what you said, the demand is there. Yeah, but understand what the demand is and what people want and making sure you, because it, as real estate agents, the reason why Zillow never took over or whoever is because we are the context, we are the information. We are, sure. You can't look at a piece of real estate and understand it at the level that you can when you're a real estate agent and you understand deals and you have the relationship and understand the client. Right. And then you're able to put it, but the demand is always there. It's just a matter of helping that come together with that. That's a point. Yeah. Right? I love that. Yeah. So I, I would like the word that kept when I was listening, it was like demand. It's like understanding the demand. You have to know the market and understand what the demand is and you yeah. cultivate the deal. I understand the product for sure. What is it that made you successful? Because you were incredibly successful and sure there was some luck, but that doesn't come alone. Yeah, no, for me, I guess I saw early on, and even before real estate, that uh, I had the ability to create loyalty and have and lead people. I knew that. I, you know, when I played softball for a local place, I ended up being the manager. I always think I, I ended up running everything every time I got involved in something. And it, it kind of told me that there's a, there was something else there besides the, the uh, specific of uh, selling, you know, selling real estate. And when I get into my first company, you know, people would come to me for advice. Well, I, I drove a truck. I don't, you know, but they still trusted me for advice. So I realized that I had something where I could lead. And, and, and it, it, it was, a, it was a, a moment in my life when I just said, you know what, this isn't, I maybe am not the best salesperson, but I could certainly figure out how to lead a team to success. And, and I kind of, uh, all the way through Realogy, had that good fortune of having teams that were always number one or number two in, the, in whatever we did every year. And, and they were loyal. You know, that was a big, big thing to me is loyalty because I'm a street guy and that's a big deal to me. But if people are loyal to me, then I'm loyal to them and we, and we figure it out together. And it's always been one of the qualities I kind of watch most closely when I interview people or I see people. Like you can almost get a sense of their, whether it's all about me, 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 or it's about let's get this done together and get it, everybody can be successful. So that was always my philosophy is it takes a team to do everything, you know? And yeah. I just carried that through. And again, you know, as an, as an agent, like I said, I wasn't a terrible agent, but the people you talk to are amazing. And I was never an amazing person. You know, that would never been our oh, that's not That's not true. That's not true. But that's what all amazing people say is they're not amazing. <laughs> everybody else is, but there yeah. you go. Which leads me to a question I was just thinking is, you know, you are so to accomplish what you've accomplished and be who you are and do what you've done. You're so incredibly humble. And I find there are people who are humble to the point of undermining themselves. And you're not that kind of humble. I mean, what can you tell us about being humble and how you can keep your humility and be the leader that you are? And in being the leader that you are, ego is clearly not taken over. 
Yeah, it's, this is the part where I'll have to not be emotional while I talk about it. But the uh, it's just it, it's not hard to be humble. It's it's about remembering to be humble. And, and you know, and I'm not saying I'm humble. You you said that. I'll use that word. But but really is I never forget where I came from. I never forget how I got here. I, you know, this I, I feel like I'm blessed that I am where I am right now. To be honest with you, it's just amazing. But I can look back and remember swimming. You know, I told you I learned to swim in a fire hydrant. You know, so there was. There was a time in my life, and I didn't know that wasn't a good thing, to be honest with you. When we were, I told my wife and I talked about that. We didn't know, you know. She, <laughs> she says, that's awesome, though. I love that. They're so, that's so refreshing. Some yeah. kids need to be doing that again. I'm just saying. like. <laughs> yeah. My wife grew up the same way, so we had that conversation where we laugh about, you know, how, if you look back, how rough our, our lives were, but we didn't know they were rough. We enjoyed them. But exactly. Looking, looking back, you realize, and you don't forget that stuff. And and then there were rough times throughout my, my life. With, you know, like I said, even in 08, when everything was crashing, that was one of the worst times of my life, my personal life. I, I'm looking at my children. They were, they were, two of them were getting ready to go to college. And all of a sudden, it didn't look like it was going to happen or I wouldn't be able to help them. And it was a terrible feeling to be helpless like that. So I just, I remember, I don't forget that stuff all the way through. And I'm very fortunate now. We have a great company. I have great agents you know when with all the competition around us the, the fact that everyone kind of stays together means so much to me and it's just i feel so blessed that way but i also know it's because we are very choosy on who we pick and bring and join with us we don't mm -hmm. we're not just signing names up they have to go through quite an interview process including talking to myself or paul at some point and then we decide whether we move forward and so far we've maintained the level that we want within our company of, of uh, what we call a white glove service, but more importantly, people that have a moral compass and, and they do the right thing, you know, and I'm not going to be, I'm not religious by any means, but for me, it's, you know, treat people the way you want to be treated. And, and, and we try to stick with that when we have our, when we bring someone aboard. Yeah, and clearly you do that and it's 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 almost always say it's like kind of like a law of physics. It just what you put out to the world, it really tends to come back. Yeah, no, I agree with that. In being a leader, you've said words like leading people, learning, remember to team, we people do more together. We do more together and you have a value and you see what everybody who comes to the table has to offer. And it sounds like when they don't, it's not a it's not a contemptuous thing. It's just, hey, this isn't the right place for you and it's a disservice to you and everybody else for you to stay. Right. And that's just how we say it. You know, it's just, it's not the right fit for you or me. And neither yeah. one of us would benefit from it. Let's just move on and be friends. We're all in the same circles. What would you say in leadership? But I had my teams. In... No, you're no, saying No, I was just saying the teams in really. Go ahead, Jared. I'm sorry. No, you go. There's a, there's a layover, I think, in us talking. And so you think I'm interrupting you, but I'm not. So tell your story again so we can hear it because you're talking about a team. Yeah, the, the teams in Realogy, when I got on the franchise sales side, it was all based on numbers, and it was literally quarterly. So all of these teams had hit numbers every quarter. And when I went in there, it was kind of like a, I don't know, a nice word to say, but it was a very cutthroat mm. business. And the, and the leaders of the teams essentially went through teams every six months because they wouldn't hit their number by the sixth month. They'd hire a whole new team. I saw that. It didn't make any sense to me. It was like, why would I put my time and effort into someone for six months and then start over again? So I was the anomaly there that 
my teams, when I was there for six years in franchise sales, those same teams were in place when I left. No one left. And now, obviously, they've all gone different ways. But So I didn't have to reteach and relearn, but it took extra effort to make them feel like, you know what, if they were in a jam somewhere trying to get something done, I got on a plane and went there and helped them finish it. And they, so they always knew I had their backs. So the loyalty thing was there. And we hit our number every quarter. And, and I lost barely anyone. And the other teams would shift every six months. There'd be new people, new people. And, and that was the philosophy. So we kind of went against the grain in, in, in a lot of the way that, that they ran it. But it was, it was hugely successful for me because if you can embrace your, the people that work for you, they're going to embrace you back. And we're going to figure it out together. And it's kind of what I've always believed. So on that, that's in team building. So you just, you've said so many, I love talking to you because there's so many things that I feel like you just take for granted in the way you are and think and do things that we can all learn so much from. For example, you're talking about, you had teams where, and you talked about when people run things on meeting a quota, they're doing it to avoid missing what their intuition would tell them about what goes wrong and to avoid that. But what happens is the opposite. It's just destructive. And in running teams, anyone that's done it or dealt with people, it's still not easy. You don't just, you can't just be nice to people and think you're going to show up and do their job. Nope. So, because that's just not how it works. But you can't just say you didn't meet your numbers, you're out either. Right. That hurts every. So, what is, what is it? I mean, you said embrace who works for you and having their backs, that's huge. But how do you, because sometimes, you, like we said, you don't want to retain the wrong people. Right. But you want to keep the right people. Is there, obviously you're good at it, but is there something tangible that you can give us that you recognize or you've even learned over the years about that? You know, it was about being honest with people. Like if, if someone wasn't putting the effort forth, I, I, they know it. I didn't, I wasn't a wilting flower by any means. I would tell them that they, you have to do your job and here's how you have to do it. I always called it firm but fair. You know, that's what I was. I made sure. Firm but fair. Made sure they understood what the job was and what they had to do. And I and that was my job to make sure that they actually stayed on track. And if they didn't, then I would that plane that I took to help them would be the same plane I went in to say, hey, get your act together here, because we're not in we're not going in the same direction. And, and I will have to do something if that happens. And generally, if someone has that inner workings inside them, they fire that up and they do it again. And again, it's all who you pick as well. Like I would be careful who I picked to replace someone if they did leave to get the right team. And, you know, it's fun for me, 15 years later, since I left there, there's two of them out there that are very successful. And when I call them, they still call me boss, which is you know, oh, wow. so much to me. They don't even know it, but it just means a lot to me that 15 years away from them and they're still calling me boss, you know? <laughs> yeah. I love that. I mean, that's just, that's the, it's, it's a loyalty and just working together and being together and having that consensus, what would you say looking back? Because clearly you kind of were born in a way that you naturally, I think you you have this way of embracing people and having gratitude for what they bring to the table that brings, that, that makes you a great leader and that way of being humble, but knowing how to be firm, but fair. But like, is there an example of something just really went bad and you, or can you give us something that, like, don't tell us all the horrible things that happened unless you want to. But what is <laughs> what is something that's happened where it looked rough and it's just a specific story that you can go there and be there and say, this is where I was. 
And then this is what I learned and carried forward through my business that is a reason for so much of my success now. Huh. There's been so many stories. I don't know which one I could. Uh, and that was a bit broad. I mean, because we've talked about 2008. We talked about, yeah. we talked a little bit about if you wanted, if you would share with us getting, because you came from growing up rough to you got made it to college and didn't really make it out, but you still, despite not even having your focus on that, but the rest of the world wanted it for you, end up in the corporate world. And you talked about how you went to interviews and there's a certain, especially, especially, you know, in the seventies, like think people didn't, people felt a little bit differently about, I mean, even now in the corporate world, but give us a little bit about that, about your interviews and how you kind of handled climbing that corporate ladder a little bit and what you learned. Yeah, it's, it's a, it's a badly kept secret now, but I, 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 I didn't talk about any of my background through most of my life, including, I think my first interview with Century 21 back when I was, you know, that first job, no one asked me for a real legitimate resume. I, I went in and met with people. They had, I was always fortunate that they knew me. I was there with them for four years as a manager going through their courses, having fun with them, hanging out with them. So the, the interview process was probably a little more easy for me. And they hired me and I was shocked they hired me. So once I got in there, now it, it, you had to produce to not be called out, I guess, you know, my whole life. So I had probably worked harder than most people work to make sure that it never, no issue ever came up. So I always tried to be on the front of everything and, you know, on top of everything, running everything perfectly because I never wanted anyone to, have to say, well, we're going to move you to another position. Why don't you share your resume? I, I hid that for, as I said, you wow. when I was 60. You know, I didn't tell anyone any of that. That's and amazing. Yeah. Colleen Barry's the one that convinced me to make that little video. And I literally, when it went out, I was petrified because I thought, I'm in this position with this brand that is phenomenal. And, I, and I'm not the one, I don't really have the background to be there. And it went the whole other way. The video was a home run. People loved it. And I realized I, I wish I hadn't hit, hit it. Well, I would have had to hit hide it way back when, but I wish I would have talked about it sooner than, yeah. um, but it's been wonderful. It's been, it was, uh, it was, it was a relief for me. Once I got out there, now I was relieved that I could be myself. I always am myself, but there's always that reserved part of me that would say, you know, I'm not going to speak too much here and have someone ask me a question that, that I couldn't answer. And now I'm more, I'm so much more comfortable. It's the best thing I ever did in terms of my life and in, in, in what I, uh, my personal, my professional life. Holding sales records and selling the first $100 million property in the country. You saw things other people didn't see, good or bad, and you didn't let what they saw impact who you really were and what opportunity really was or define it. Yeah, and that's one of the reasons that I love about Silicon Valley is that it's a meritocracy here and everybody uh, is from somewhere and all they want to know, they, you know, where I used to live in LA and LA it's, you know, uh, it's what you drive or what you wear or what kind of jewelry you wear. And here it's like uh, the first thing people are like, uh, where'd you go to school? You know? And, and so yeah. it's a totally different, that, that vibe is so, so cool that, that I thrive in that environment because it's about what are you doing? What can you do? And so when I'm selling, I'm not selling, I'm not selling anything because the, the best uh, uh, things that I always have heard throughout my life from people is like, you're not like a salesperson. 
which is the biggest compliment you can give to somebody, unfortunately, because I think that, uh, I don't know if it's Hollywood or whoever, but that, that, that our profession has, been, has a little bit of a tarnish on it, but I think that, you know, every profession probably has a little bit of it. I mean, you know, lawyers get their share of it as well, right? Uh, so you just move on and, and, uh, and, uh, and you don't think about, uh, um, you only think about pr- the people. You don't think about price, and that's the thing about luxury. If you're intimidated by price, then you know, it, it, the, the, the trouble is not with the industry. It's just with you. you got to get out of that shell. Oh, the problem right? is not so, with industry. If you have a problem with price, the problem is not with the industry. It might be with you. And not, that's not an accusational judgment. That's no, just it's just something check. to work on. It's just something you need to work on. And so when, when, when you know, this, this, this current week, I, I was fortunate enough to, to be called to a, an interview for a $20 million listing. And, uh, and my first question to be, oh, one of my first questions is, hey, why, why me? Why, why did you call me instead of somebody else? And he looked at me, he goes, do you know so-and-so? I'm like, yeah. He said, well, he's a friend of mine. We grew up together. We went to school together. I'm like, he's one of the absolute top real estate agents in the area. He goes, yeah, I know. So I called him and said, hey, who do you think I should give this to? He said, Call Arthur Sharif. I think he'll do a great job for you. And um, so, you know, I think you win the admiration of your colleagues and for, for another colleague to, to do that for you instead of saying, hey, you know, let me uh, let me introduce you to this guy and then try to get a, a, a referral fee or anything like that. It just shows you the level of confidence that somebody had in you. And, uh, you know, I, I'm, I was blown away that that, that happened. Well, it also is a reminder in our industry of like our, the other agents are sure we compete. I say we still, um, but anyway, yeah. we compete, but really and truly brokers are allies. We're doing deals with one another. I tell people during the interview, they say, well, we've interviewed someone. So I said, listen, when we come to your home, we are all competing agents and we tell you about what we can do I said, but as soon as you sign the, the, uh, the listing agreement, we all become cooperating agents. We all try to, to sell your home. There is no, there is no uh, you know, me versus them. It's we. It's only me until you sign the document. And after I talk to you, my next call is to my colleagues. Those are the folks that are very important to me. And they are the ones that I really count on to help me help you. I've never heard it put that way. I love because once you sign, I mean that that almost sounds like from competing to cooperating. But understanding, like when you hire me now, you choose the person you want representing you. But when you hire me now, you bring in the whole community of agents. And the reality is, when you hire the person who has the best relationships in the community, you bring. That's the the point. That's the point. Is that if you can convince the seller that that you have a stellar reputation uh, among the brokerage community, that should be a huge, huge uh, 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 you know, feather in your cap, if you will. And, and you, I've just, like, it's like, I'm like, duh, but the way you phrase it is so, it so reinforces the point of why our industry has been so longstanding. It's so longstanding is because when you hire the right agent, you hire the agent who, who works well with the other agents. Otherwise, you're eliminating yourself from everybody. Exactly. And as an agent, it's kind of important to remember that. <laughs> <for your own laughs> career. 
<laughs> it's really important for me to remember that because my story is that I was the only Sotheby's agent in the peninsula at one time, the only one. And so when people would go into the uh, listing presentation, their immediate thing was, oh, you don't want him. He's not, his office is in the city. Uh, and so I didn't, I needed to be more cooperative uh, uh, than, than most of my colleagues because I was kind of like the Lone Ranger here. Um, and, uh, but, you know, I, I like to think that, that my presence here uh, uh, invited uh, the, the other Sotheby's affiliate brokerages to op- open brokerages in our community. Wow. So, I mean, so that, so do you think was that your experience that really drove it home for you and reinforced that? Because it could do one or the other. It could make some people better, like Lone Ranger doing my thing, or was, is there like a moment or a story where it all came together? Well, the thing is, is that we have to remember that every agent, and that's what really uh, kind of gets me when people knock the industry. The industry is not really an industry. It's one of the most loosely knit industries that I know of. Every agent is a small business. So if you like small business, you should love the real estate business because there's thousands of us. We're all small businesses. We don't you know, pollute. <laughs> we're, we're, you know, we're, you know, we're, well, we drive our cars around, but you know, I mean, good Tesla. Yeah, right. Exactly. But so, so we are, you know, and so that's where, where this whole thing starts is you're a, you're a small business as a small business. If you want to raise, you get in front of the mirror and say, I need a raise and you go out and get one. It, you can't rely on your brokerage. You can't rely on anybody. You got to rely on yourself. And when you think about it that way, then yes, it's easy to become a lone wolf type of a, uh, a person. Uh, but really and truly, there's no one that you, that you must rely on. You have to be self-reliant in every sense of the word. Because if you need to run to, to get advice on everything, then you're just maybe, you know, need to work on some of the things that, that you shouldn't need to because being an independent business person means you gotta be the problem solver no matter what the problem is. And that's what, uh, you know, being an entrepreneur, that was like the easy thing. I was like, yeah, I've, I've done that for years. Like, yeah, pro- what problem, problem opportunities, Mr. Exactly. Opportunity. I mean, yeah. really? Okay, so I think it was 2012 that the first $100 million property sold yes. in our country and it was you you were the broker my my, my sister and i your sister you and your sister yeah. so yeah. how did that happen so the what's the, the story the story is this the the the, the owner a husband and wife they have this 85 million dollar property and they have another 85 million dollar property in hawaii so they called us and they called some other people in and they said, we have this property and whichever one sells first, we're going to keep the other one. I'm like, oh no, that's terrible because you could do all this work and the other house sells first. And then they said, rule number two, no one can know about this. I don't want it in newspapers, magazines, radio, Every TV. real estate agent's dream. <laughs> right, Somebody, so like, we might just not sell it. Yeah. And like, don't let anybody know about it. But yeah. So, so because sometimes you... Anyway, we'll go into that later. So anyway, they uh, uh, said, you can't, you can't put it out there. So I'm like, okay, fine. Uh, so we knew that it was a ticking clock 
on two on two points. And number one is that that uh, you know the other house sells first. Number two is by having our hands tied, um, you know, he may get frustrated and say, "Hey, nothing's going on. Uh, we need to move on or something." So, uh, but we we reached out to the brokerage community, reached out to the brokerage, all the the people, and they reach out to us. And so there's one agent who I've done quite a bit of business with, and. Uh, he, he said, I, I've got a client that's like, you know, money is no object. I'm like, yeah, great. He goes, oh yeah, this guy will spend 30 million, 25 million. I'm like, well, if he's got 30 million, he's got, he doesn't have enough to buy this. Uh, he goes, really? I'm like, yeah. I said, this is, this is an $85 million property. And there are two lots on either side of it that are seven and a half million dollars each for a total of $100 million. Uh, and so anyway, they, the, the people come I give him this big grand tour, you know, really uh, dramatic and, uh, you know, uh, and then they love it. They absolutely love it. And uh, uh, they did a hundred different inspections and all of this. And uh, after all it's all said and done with, they said, we'll give you 95 million. Uh, and the owner was like, okay, we'll take that. I'm like, no, if you take that, you have two things can happen. Number one, he'll think that he paid too much. Or number two, he may just walk away thinking, you know, I just don't, this is just like, not it's just too easy maybe it's just not even it's not supposed to happen so we came back with the hundred million dollars and they said you know you know can you substantiate it yes you know we can do this you know this is the architect this is this and uh anyway at the end of the day uh they said okay fine hundred million dollars next thing you know we're all celebrating and having a great time and you know uh patting each other on the back that's amazing yeah i love that and, and th- so a few things, somebody comes to you, cause here's the thing, everybody has their situation. I'm talking a lot about problems today because I love to reinforce the way that everything comes your way. You don't, it's honestly, you just don't, in a very good way, you don't see, you don't see no, or you, you see the no, but you don't see it as a, you don't see no as the end, you see no as the door to opportunity. Exactly, because I'm open to it. I mean, you know, somebody and people around here, they're like, you're lo- you're so lucky. Uh, let me just rub against you. I'm like, don't do that. They're like, why? I'm like, because <laughs> if I'm lucky, your luck will come to me and I have too much luck. <laughs> oh my God, like, see? Like, even that, I was like, because most people are like, why? Because my bad luck will rub on you? No, like, you see the luck. You don't see the problem. You see? I love that. <laughs> Yeah, oh God, so. I love that. <laughs> well, like, so I don't know if you know who Jordan Peterson is, but, is, but he says, what you, what you see determines on your aim and your focus. You're focusing on, you've got problems and opportunities everywhere. You, you decide to look and focus on opportunities and that's what you see. And when you see it, that's what you work with. That's what becomes more and more of your reality and it perpetuates. Exactly. It's not exactly. like you haven't had challenges. No, I've had more challenges than, than, than most folks, um, but it's just an outlook, right? Your positive outlook, you know, it sounds cliche-ish that the glass is half full, but, you know, I always look at the positive because I've seen too many, um, you know, you know Aristotle said, uh, we are what we reportedly do. Excellence, then, is not an act, but a habit. You know, you just be that person and, you know, and, and it'll happen for you. It's just, you just have to be open to it and, and 
you know, the old saying, you know, half or whatever is just showing up. You got to show up. And uh, I show up. And reiterate what you said, because you show up, but here's, you've got the be positive people. They're just making stuff up in their head because there is reality. And then there's people like in you, you, here's what Jerry Metcalf is reading and interpreting. You've seen an awful lot of reality. It hasn't all been bright and shiny and beautiful, but you've also seen within that reality, the beauty, you don't just see what, what isn't there. You see what could be and can be. And you hone in on that part of it. And did you learn that somewhere? Or because you literally like in everything, in everything, you hone in on what could be and how to make it happen. And you go to links, you go at links. I think most people would not because you're like, oh, okay, well, if that's what I've got to do to do it, okay, then I'll do that. And you just do that. What, where did that come from? Or how did you come about? I think it's that. probably it's probably from being competitive and 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 not wanting to not wanting to to lose. Uh, so I'm very very competitive person. I participate, you know, in sports and in sports, you know, you know, losing is not an option. That's the that's the that's the mentality I always uh, go by. But more importantly, I think it's it's the it's my personality where I want to please. So if I sell your hundred million dollar home, that makes you happy. If it makes you happy, it makes me happy. And so, uh, and, and that may, uh, uh, may be like my biggest trait in that I love to have fun. And, uh, and you know, and I always get, uh, get uh, uh, teased about this. Yeah, there's only one person, you know, the, the person that laughs the loudest at my jokes is me. <laughs> joke is not infectious the laugh will be infectious <laughs> so, so i'll get him to happen this that way so it's everything you just said that's so true i love that so <laughs> so in your career and or life what is the biggest lesson and or challenge that you've overcome the challenge is nothing is so serious I tell you this to everybody, like, we're not brain surgeons. If we fail, no one's going to die. So that's the starting point. No one's going to die. So things are not that bad. And so the, the, so the, the challenges that, that you, know, you learn from is like my, my illness uh, uh, in 2008 when I lost, you know, uh, a big chunk of my, my net worth in the real estate meltdown. Uh, those things, right, uh, you know, for some people, it may have been devastating. Uh, but for me, it was like that, you know, look in the mirror, like, hey, at least it's not cancer. Uh, so, you know, you just have to look and say, you know, things could always be worse. I mean, I, you know, I had financial problems, uh, you know, and, and, and uh, you know, all of these other things. And, uh, and uh, you know, I went to the doctor and the doctor said, uh, and, and at that time, you know, the financial spot, I'm like, this can't get much worse than this. And next thing you know, it's just, oh, you have cancer. I'm like, well, I guess it could get worse than this. <laughs> Even for Mr. Positive. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and so, and so those things teach you to, to understand what the important things are. And then once you have that, then you don't take anything too seriously. And most importantly, you don't take yourself too seriously. You know, you're not going to be self-depreciating, you know, other than maybe in a joke or something. But uh, but you just 
realize that, hey, you know, everything's going to be okay. All you have to do is just be patient and keep working the process. And the process has proven itself in the past. It'll prove itself again. Which goes back to excellence and habits. Yeah. And what you just said was understand what the important things are. Exactly. So there are a couple of quotes that you've given before. Now I'm just remembering one of them. So I'm going to say it. We also are going to do the final three. But before we do the final three, I just want to, because we've talked offline about things. And we talked about when you're working with people and you've said this in training and working with other people, you're mentoring and other agents. And it's, it's not about treating other people the way you want to be treated. It's about treating other people the way you would want them to treat your mother. Yeah, that's a, that's one of my favorite ones. Uh, and I've always uh, 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 tried to instill that uh, in my sales training because I've trained a lot of young people. Some of them even encouraged me to write a book. Uh, and, and, you know, like the old saying, the customer is always right. Okay, that's a good thing to live by, right? Another good thing is, you know, treat everybody the way you want to be treated. That's good. But let's take that one step further and, 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 and say, let's treat everybody the way we want our moms treated. Well, what, what is the distinction there? The distinction is that there's an extra level of care that, that you and I, you know, I, I don't expect somebody to, to, you know, hand me their seat. Uh, but if somebody uh, hands their seat to my mom, it wouldn't shock me, eh? It'd make me happy. And, uh, and that person to me is a good person. So treat people in, in, in terms of sales. What that means is slow the process down for that person. It, respect that person's uh, uh, ability to comprehend at a different level because you do this every day. They do this once every 20, 30 years and make sure that they understand. And the way that you make it, the way I make my mom understand because my mom sometimes I'm like explain to her and she goes like you understand she goes yes yes I understand I'm like okay if you understand I want you to explain to me what I just said because if she can explain it to me then I know she can understand that's the old expression like the only way somebody knows something is you know if if, if your mom can uh, can explain it to you uh, after you've explained it to her then you under, then they really understand and so those are the little things that I always try to, to live by Thanks for listening to the Jerry Metcalf podcast, where top real estate agents tell how they do it. Powered by Breakthrough Luxury Coaching, this podcast was created for real estate agents across the world, coming together, sharing ideas that take their businesses to the next level. Breakthrough Luxury Coaching and Membership provide luxury real estate agents tools and resources that win more business increase volume and sales prices, and create results. To learn more, go to getstarted.breakthroughluxury.com.